thank you for being here. Um, you did one of two things. Either you just woke up or you did move your clock forward and you set the alarm appropriately. So uh, either way, we're glad that you're here today and uh, able to take part in worship with us. And uh, I, uh, you know, over the last few weeks, my father's passing and um, seeing some family that we haven't seen in a long, long time and seeing some people that I haven't seen in a long, long time and having some conversations around that. Um, you know, one of the things that I talk about with my my father was that he was a very spiritual man and that uh, I, uh, I hope that uh, I can be nearly as spiritually and and uh, full of faith and trust as he was in his life. And in having that conversation with some folks, um, I had someone say something to me that, that I have heard many, many times, and I'm sure you have as well, but it really started me to thinking about sometimes we just need to be reminded of the truth and of the foundational truths of God's Word. And what they said to me was this, I'm glad that your dad was a man of faith. And, uh, you know, he believed different than I believed about some things. But the main thing is we all believe there's many ways to heaven and we're all going to try, we're all trying to get to the same place. And as I thought about that, I thought, no. It's not true. There are not many different roads to the same destination. In fact, the Scripture is very clear in regards to that. In Acts, the fourth chapter, it says this, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it doesn't leave a lot of gray area. It's pretty black and white. There is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is only one way for us to be saved, to receive salvation, and to have the hope of eternity in the kingdom of heaven. There are not many roads. There are not many different beliefs and, and, and ideas. He said there's just one way. And as Christians and as believers, we need to hold true to that message. If we do not, we are misleading people. If we do not, we are risking for ourselves and for others an eternity not in heaven because we have chosen some alternate route or some other way that, that because people accept it and because people are more comfortable with it, we go, well, okay, so you believe what you want to believe, I believe what we want to, I believe, and, and we're all trying to get to heaven and that's okay. He says, nope, you know, there's only one way for us to be saved. And we must adhere to that means of salvation. That's not popular in our culture today. 
I mean, you look around and, and you look at all of the different churches that exist. And not just different churches, but different denominations, different belief systems, different ideas of what Scripture is saying or not saying, and, and how we receive salvation or, or how we get to heaven. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of different ideas. But the fact of the matter, as I read God's Word, He said there's only one way to reach that destination. There's only one way to get there. And in fact, the Scripture makes the statement that that way is narrow and few are those who will follow that way. But the other way is really wide, really smooth, really easy, and it says there's going to be a lot of people that go that way. And so what we have to determine in our life as believers is are we headed in the right direction? Are we going the right way according to the truth of God's Word? Or have we allowed ourselves in order to be comfortable, in order to be accepted, and in, in order for people not to look at us uh, too oddly or strangely, have we compromised the truth of God's Word and, and the direction that He says is the only way for us to be saved? And, and so this morning, I want us to take just a few moments to look at God's plan of salvation, and specifically today, because this is the one that, that often is, is in controversy, in, in debate and discussion, is I want us to look at biblical baptism. I want us to look at, so, so we say, well, have faith, and we believe, what do we do with that faith and that belief? And the first step, according to God's Word, is, is that we are baptized, and we're going to look at how that ties with this whole journey. And the first thing I want to see in regards to that is that we are saved from wrath. We are saved from wrath. I want you to, to think about that for just a moment and what that means to us. We often talk about baptism, and we often talk about it in relationship to, to a point of decision, to, to a point of, of conversion. But what is it that we're being saved from and we are saved from the wrath of God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me, if you would, over to First uh, Peter. And First uh, Peter chapter 3. We want to begin there reading a passage of Scripture this morning and read through just a few verses together. Beginning in verse 18. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once... For all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Now hear that? Why did he die, the just for the unjust, once for all? In order that, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through, listen to what he says, safely through the water. And the corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. 
You see the relationship that he's building here? Saved from the wrath of God. What was the wrath of God? When we look in the Old Testament passage and, and we see the events surrounding Noah and the ark that we always talk about. So, so we look at this and we go, wait a minute. Here's what he's telling us. And corresponding to that, baptism saved through water. That they were, persons were brought safely or, brought, or they were saved through the water. And, and corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from your flesh but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, at the right hand, who, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers and been, had been subjected to him. So we find here in Peter that he is referencing back to the Old Testament Scriptures, Genesis chapter 6 and 7. We have the account... Of Noah and the ark. And Noah in faithfulness to God builds an ark. The wrath of God is going to destroy mankind. But eight people, the family of Noah, and we know the story, the animals two by two, are saved through the water. The water is the wrath of God toward the sinfulness of man. But eight were saved through that water. And in that, he says, it corresponds to baptism that now saves us. So again, through the water is the idea. It's a crossing through. It's, it's being saved from the wrath of God or the punishment for sin in our life. And so he says, we pass through that. And passing through the water, there is salvation for us like there was for Noah and his family when the wrath of God came and destroyed all of mankind. So we look at that and we begin to understand that, that God says there's only one way through baptism that now saves us. So he says we have to understand the power of that, the importance of that in being saved from the wrath of God. We have a corresponding passage that, of a different event in Scripture that gives us the same message. The account of the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 14 we know that they were fleeing from the bondage uh, that was, was in Egypt. And they were fleeing to, to safety by the direction and the, the guidance of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, listen to what it says. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea, through the water, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Okay? So what happened in that? God's people were fleeing the bondage of the past, the bondage of sinfulness, if you would, correlate the two things. And in their flight to come away from that bondage, they passed through the sea, under the cloud, and through the sea. When they emerged on the other side, we know what happened behind them. And that is that that same water swallowed up the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. And so again, they were saved or delivered through the water. And he says they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So that baptism that he speaks of is in the water. They passed through the water and the water then consumed those, the wrath of God consumed those pursuing them from behind.
one other event. We look in the Old Testament Scripture and we see again, uh, and that is in Jonah chapter verse, chapters 1 and 2. We know the story of Jonah and the great fish. And so Jonah and the great fish, he went into the belly of the fish and he was there for three days and then he was delivered out of the belly of the fish which was in the water. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. He says this, He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In the water, the wrath of God was being demonstrated in the storm, and all were about to perish until they cast Jonah overboard into the water. Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and was delivered through the water and deposited on the land. Then God, he would then use him in a great way. All of these historical events in the Old Testament Scripture point to us an understanding of baptism by water and its ability to save us, not because of any magical thing in the water, not because of anything we've done, but because of Christ Jesus and because of His death, burial, and resurrection, because of the price that He paid in order to what? What did it say when we began? To bring us to God. To save us from the wrath of God and bring us into the presence of God. Having known His forgiveness, received His forgiveness. And so these historical accounts in the Old Testament Scripture are, are a foreshadowing or a picture helping us to see and to understand what was to come in Christ Jesus in the New Testament Scripture. And that's why in all of these New Testament passages, the authors, inspired by God, are reaching back to the Old Testament Scripture to bring forward a picture or an image for, for those people living in that day and time and for us to understand the importance of baptism and the role that it plays in regards to our salvation in regards to the kingdom of God. So the, the next thing that I want us to see is, is what does that mean for us in our life today? How does that translate and impact us as believers today? In Acts chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, it says, And they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? So we know the story we, we know that, uh, that the eunuch had come along and, and he had engaged with the servant of God. And the scripture says that he had taught him from the word of God. And obviously the lesson that he was teaching him had to do with baptism. Because he says, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? What, what is there that would stop me from following what you've just been teaching me from God's word? Well, what was he teaching him from? He was teaching from the Old Testament Scripture, from the scrolls. And so they didn't have the New Testament Scripture yet. So he was teaching him from the Old Testament Scripture, and from those Old Testament passages, he said, hey, baptism, here's water, okay? So what hinders me from being baptized? What's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so the first thing that we see in regards to baptism, in regards to us, is it begins with our faith. 
begins with a faith that says, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I believe that He is the means and the avenue and, and the purpose for me to be saved. And I believe that I must follow Him and His example in order to receive salvation. Remember what we began in, in Peter, what he say? In order to bring us to God. In order to take us out from beneath the wrath of God and bring us to God. In order to, to be the peacemaker between us and God and the wrath of God coming because of sin in our life. And so now we find this passage in, in Acts and it tells us there, uh, I'm sorry, not, not in Acts, um, but uh, in, uh, yeah, in Acts chapter 8. I'm sorry, I got confused on my passage there. In Acts chapter 8, we find this, this uh, passage with Philip and the eunuch and he says, you've been teaching me from God's Word, the Old Testament Scripture, and he says, Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And, Peter, and Philip says to him, what? If you have faith, if you believe, you can. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so that's why when we uh, institute uh, water baptism, we say those words. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and my personal Savior. I accept Him as such. He is my deliverer. He is my Savior He's the one that brings me out of the wrath of God and brings me unto God. And so, so I, I recognize the value of that. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, a very familiar passage of Scripture to us in the New Testament church today. And uh, he says this, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, again, we see an instruction of what we refer to as the day of Pentecost. And Peter is preaching the message of Christ. And the Scripture says that they were pierced or they were cut in their heart. And they were sorrowful and they said, what do we do about this? We recognize the truth of the message that you're declaring. We recognize our hearts are grieved because of that. And we need to do something about it. What do we do? And Peter says what? Repent and be baptized. Baptism is tied to our faith and our repentance. Hey, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? If you believe, if you have faith, and the eunuch said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of living God, and we know that they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, the Scripture tells us, and he was baptized. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, says to them in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, they said, man, we're convicted and we're convinced of the message that you've given us. What do we do about this? And he says, first thing is repent and then be baptized. Faith and repentance. And I want to tell you this, there's nothing magical about water baptism. If I do not have faith and I have not repented and there's not been a changing of my heart, all that happens is I go down a dry center and I come up a wet center. Nothing's changed. It's not the water. It's not even the act. That act is a demonstration of my faith and belief and, and a point in that faith and belief and repentance of changing my life. And the Scripture says at that moment when I change my life, I put to death the old self. 
And I'm resurrected to walk in the newness of life. And so baptism is the moment that marks and identifies, like the burial of Jesus in the tomb, that I am burying the old self and I am resurrecting. I'm coming up to life to the new self to walk in the newness of life. But that act itself doesn't do anything if we do not have faith and repentance. If we have not in faith embraced the truth, the fact that Jesus Christ is the living God, and we have not repented in sorrow of the sin and the past of our life, and we have a changed heart that desires to live differently in relationship to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if that happens, then water baptism plays a role in our salvation as baptism doth now save us. Why? Because it is a demonstration of that faith and repentance. It is a burial of the old self and a resurrection of the new self to walk in the newness of life. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. So if we are baptized into Christ, think about that for a moment. I am baptized into Christ. I become a part of, into Christ. Baptized into. He says, then I have clothed myself with Him. I've taken off the old garment of the old sinful me. And I've put on a new garment. And that garment that I've clothed myself with is the garment of Christ. The very Son of God who lived a sinless and perfect life on the face of earth. Who the Scriptures has faith faced all of the temptations that you and I have, yet with no sin. And he says, now you have taken off the old garment of who you were in your sinfulness, and you have put on, you have clothed yourself with the garment of Christ. We have become a part of his family. We have become joint heirs with Christ Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And so he says we are baptized into his death. In, in the scriptures it says... Wash away thy sins. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? So again, baptism, a symbol of death, and that's why we say it's a, it's a watery grave of baptism, is it is a demonstration of burial, of being placed underneath and then resurrected. And he says, we have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. He said it is a demonstration of doing exactly what Christ did, putting to death the old self and then resurrecting to walk in the newness of life so that we might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that your body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is free from sin. The death of me. Putting 
to death the old self. The demonstration of that. Again, nothing magical if I haven't had faith, if I haven't repented, there hasn't been a change of heart, nothing magical, but it's a demonstration of the burial of the old self, the resurrection of the new self to walk in the newness of life. And he says, if we have been united with him in his death, this is what unites us in the death. This is what unites us in, in putting to death the old self and coming to life in the new self. Then we also will be united with him in the resurrection. And he says, if we have put to death the old sinful self, then sin no longer has control over us. We have been freed from sin. Isn't that a beautiful thought? We have been freed from sin. So we ask ourselves the question, well, I have faith. I've repented. I've been baptized. The scripture says then I've been freed from sin. Why do I still sin? He didn't say we would be free from the act of sin. We've been freed from sin. Which means it no longer holds over us the dread or regret of the death that sin brings because we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. So even though I sin, Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection covers the sin, and I'm free from that. It no longer holds on to me. It no longer uh, controls me. I'm no longer enslaved or in bondage like the nation of Israel in Egypt. I've been set free from that. And so there's no longer that bondage. Yes, I sin. But remember what we read a moment ago. He said, listen, so should I sin all the more that grace may abound all the more? He said, heavens, no. That's not the point. But what I do want you to know is you're free from sin. You're free from the penalty of sin. You're free from the punishment of sin. When I sin, I don't have to worry about the, the penalty and the punishment of that because I've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says all the more we should not sin. doesn't mean that we won't sin. But all the more we should not sin because we've been set free by the blood of Christ. Truly, truly, you and I need to understand baptism is essential through God's plan of salvation for us to walk in a new life, being clothed with Christ, being set free from the penalty and the punishment of sin, that we can live as God designed for us to live. And that's why he says that he came that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. Is that abundance comes through Christ Jesus and that he came in order to bring us that life. And so I want to encourage you this morning that when you are talking with family, when you're talking with friends, people that you come in contact with, and we're talking about the kingdom of heaven and we're talking about eternity, and we're talking about salvation, that we make sure that people know and understand according to God's Word, there are not many roads to one place. There's only one path. And that path is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in obedience to the Scriptures. And that path is through faith and repentance and following God's instruction for my life to put to death the old self and to come alive to the new self.